You're listening to the Goodbye July podcast, episode number four. Whether you want to switch jobs or careers, start a side hustle, or start investing, your big goals can feel intimidating. But I'm here to tell you the biggest mistake you can make is to allow fear to keep you stagnant. Today, we're going to talk about three ways to sidestep fear by managing risk. We'll talk about a key trait many successful leaders share, an important mindset shift when it comes to failure, and the specific steps to take to mitigate your risk so you can freely and confidently pursue your boldest goals. Hey, my name is Jessica Tolar, and I'm obsessed with all things passive income, productivity, entrepreneurship, and building a life where you make the rules. I'm a normal girl who took a free money class, asked a corporate executive how she retired early, and used that knowledge to build a seven-figure net worth, quit my nine to five, and now run an online business from countries around the world. I teach you the simple but effective secrets to building a life you adore. Think I'm special? No way. If I did it, so can you. Money, mindset, life hacks, hardship, growth, and planning are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as a weekly coffee date with a close girlfriend where you talk about the finance and business knowledge it'll take to make your dreams a reality. So take a seat, get comfortable, and prepare to be challenged and cheered on while you learn. This is the Goodbye July Podcast. This episode of the Goodbye July Podcast is sponsored by PeerGrade Supplements. PeerGrade is the all-natural supplement line that I use to get clear-minded, stay energized, feel great, and make every day as effective and efficient as possible. PureGrade is offering 10% off exclusively for Goodbye July listeners. Just go to puregradesupplements.com and use the code GOODBYEJULY at checkout to get started and get your mind and body back today. The idea for today's episode was born about a week ago when Corey and I had a super big fail. At the time of this recording, we're currently working on renovating our house here in Austin in preparation for putting it on Airbnb to rent while we're living in El Salvador. We're working with a company who recommended we buy some different furniture and do some tweaks to the house itself to make it feel a bit more updated. And the biggest change they recommended was that they wanted us to paint all the interior walls of the house gray. At first, we didn't want to do it because it just felt like an awful lot of work on top of everything else we had going on to get ready for this move, and I was in the middle of launching this podcast. But we were still open to the conversation, so we had about three different people come to the house to give us a quote on painting. And y'all, I know inflation is high right now, but I did not expect these quotes to come back so high. We were willing to invest about 2k towards painting the house because we know when we sell it later, it'll help increase the value. But the quotes were coming back at like five times that amount. I mean, they were averaging around $10,000. So given everything we had going on and the price point of painting our tan walls gray, it just didn't feel like a huge priority for us. In an effort to compromise with the interior designers, Corey and I decided to paint two accent walls one in the living room, and one in the master bedroom. We went the DIY route, and we completed the two walls one evening, and it only took us about four hours, and that included moving all the furniture, removing all the outlets, taping off the trim in the walls, doing the actual painting, and then putting the room all the way back together. So the next morning, we were feeling all great, and we were like, hey, that wasn't really that bad. 
So we took ourselves to Home Depot and we picked out a paint color called white metal and we decided we were going to paint the entire house ourselves. We wanted to kind of rip the band-aid off, so to speak, so we decided to start with the hardest part first, which is the entryway to our home. So let me just paint this picture for you, no pun intended. The entryway to our house is essentially one giant two-story high wall on one side, and on the other side is the staircase. Then you've got the front door, two side windows, and a window up above the door above this ledge, which is also up there near the second story. So this first day of painting required two very tall ladders, a roller extender, intricate taping around the stairs and the windows, and some nerve-wracking heights. But we were convinced that we could get this entire job done faster than everyone else was telling us we could do it. So we were on a mission. And we did get that whole difficult entryway done in one day. But there was one little problem. The next morning when we got up, we finally stopped to take a step back and take in the entire project. And it was not until that moment that we realized the white metal color that appeared a light gray at the store and in the paint can very much looked like a light blue once it was on our walls. So basically the entire main part of our house and the hardest part to paint looked like a baby blue nursery. Ugh, that was not a fun moment for us. We tried to tell ourselves that we liked it. We tried to convince ourselves that we should just keep going, but the reality was we had to call it and just start over. And yes, we had already removed all the intricate taping and all the prep materials and everything else. So literally everything had to be done again. We called our next door neighbor who happens to be an interior designer and asked her to come over to help us. And Thank God for her because she brought her painting sample book, calmed us down, and taught us how to choose colors that complement the colors in our tile, the colors in our wood, the wallpaper, and she taught us about paint and different lighting. Like, there was a lot more to this than I realized. And it was so funny because the day before when we were at Home Depot and chose our color in like five minutes... I remember seeing this other couple that was there before us and they were still deciding on the color after the paint counter kid had already mixed up our five gallons of paint, which had taken like 15 to 20 minutes. They were still choosing their color when Corey and I left. And I remember thinking, dang, you know, it's going to take them forever to paint their house if it's taking them that long just to choose a color. But as I learned the hard way in this situation, Corey and I rushed into our decision without considering all the information. And to be fair, this was our first time painting a house together, so it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. But this entire experience reminded me of something that I'd heard in my corporate career, which I think is good advice for us all, and that is to fail fast. So here's the idea. We all make bad decisions. We all make mistakes. But research shows that successful people course correct more quickly. In an interview Fast Company did with Mike Whitaker, who's the author of The Decision Makeover, An Intentional Approach to Living the Life You Want, Whitaker says that when it comes to dealing with bad decisions, most people don't act because it's too painful. But when successful people have enough evidence that they've made a bad decision, they don't look for more. They're willing to shut down a business, for example, and go in an entirely different direction. They fail fast, move on, and then they don't talk about it again. 
I think this is mostly great advice, but the one piece I have a bit of a qualm with is I think we should talk about our failures because that's how we learn. But I agree that we should not dwell on our failures. In fact, I think reframing the word failure is incredibly important, which is why I prefer to think of my own failures as learnings. The word failure gives off a sense of negativity. Saying you're a failure takes away your power and puts you in a place of defensiveness. But saying that you learned something simply means that you figured out something that you didn't know before, possibly because the outcome of a situation maybe didn't go the way you expected or wanted it to. That doesn't mean you failed or that you're a failure. It just means that you've learned and you're better off now because of that experience. Thinking of these moments as learning opportunities puts you back into a place of power and positivity and I'd be willing to bet you're more likely to keep trying with this type of a mindset rather than the negative mindset that comes with the word failure. And I want to tie this back to the big, bold goals we've set for ourselves, because if they're big enough, they should scare you or at least make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. But fear of failure, or like we talked about, just the fear of things not going the way you expect should not keep you from trying. Whether your goal is to start a side hustle or to start investing, you just have to try. Try to make informed decisions, work to manage risk as best you can, but then if things don't work out, remember it is not the end of the world. You can course correct and keep moving. Let me tell you another quick story about something else that happened to us recently. You know, one of my favorite subjects to talk about is investing. I wrote a blog post about how to understand investing in four minutes, where I go through a simple definition of five different asset types you can invest in, and I'll be sure to include that in the show notes for you. But one of the five assets I mentioned in that post is cryptocurrency. And if you know us, you know that we're believers of and investors in crypto. I like to remind people that because crypto specifically is a new asset class, Investing in crypto can be risky and the prices are often very volatile, which means that they go up super high and down super low a lot faster and more frequently than other more established assets. So it's really important to never put money in that you're not willing to lose. In fact, that advice is true for any kind of investing, but I would say it's especially important when you're investing in risky assets. So Given that prelude, you may know where this story's going. But to make a long story short, essentially, we put some of our crypto holdings into a company called Celsius because they promised a sizable return simply for us to hold our investments with them. Although it was tempting, we did not put all of our crypto holdings into Celsius because we believe in diversification and in investments as well as where we hold those investments. Spreading out your money among different types of investments and holding those investments in a variety of places requires organization, yes, but it helps manage the risk if any of the investments fail or if any of the companies holding your money fail. And that is what happened with Celsius. So earlier this month, we got a notice that Celsius had filed for bankruptcy. And as far as we can tell, there is no way for us to get back the money that we were holding with them. Of course, this is not news we wanted to hear, and while it's unfortunate, there's really no reason to dwell on it because there's nothing we can do about it. But the good news is that we managed risk going into that arrangement because, number one, we did not invest money that we couldn't afford to lose, 
And number two, we spread out our money so that although we lost all the money we were holding with Celsius, we did not lose all the money we were holding with other companies as well. I believe that you have to spend money to make money. And in some cases, you have to be willing to lose money to make money. Of course, it's not ideal, but you have to be willing to try. No one has a crystal ball. We don't know what the crypto market or even the stock market is going to do. But we know inflation is high and we have to put our money somewhere that it's at least going to grow as fast as or faster than the rate of inflation. And we know holding it in the bank is not going to achieve that. So whether you decide to invest in yourself through starting your own side hustle or you want to try investing in the stock market or maybe even you've saved up enough for a down payment and you want to try investing in real estate, mitigate your risk and try. Just do it. Seriously. The worst thing that could happen is you lose all your money. But if you've mitigated your risk, that won't matter. And listen, I don't want that to sound crass because, again, if you've mitigated your risk, you'll be just fine. So let's dive deeper into what I mean by mitigating your risk and what exactly you can do to accomplish that. So here are the three steps. Number one, build an emergency fund. I've talked about this before, and you're going to hear me talk about this often because it's hands down one of the most important things you can do in order to mitigate risk and ultimately grow your wealth. So what is an emergency fund? How much should you put in it? And how do you go about the whole thing? The generally accepted definition of an emergency fund is three to six months worth of your living expenses, but it can really be whatever you want. Basically, you need to decide if you suddenly lost all forms of income unexpectedly, how long do you think it would take you to find another job or another source of income? I tend to be more conservative by nature, so I like to have six months of my living expenses saved up at all times. So in the worst case scenario of suddenly losing all forms of income, I'd have plenty of time to go figure something out. Whereas if I only had three months to figure out my next move, I personally would be panicking. But for me, six months feels pretty comfortable. So to actually build out your emergency fund, you need to calculate the difference between what you're bringing in and what you're spending each month and use that number to set up a monthly auto draft from your checking account into your emergency fund, which you can keep somewhere as simple as your bank savings account or if you'd like a higher return, you can look into a HISA, that's HYSA or high yield savings account. So for example, if you're bringing in $5,000 per month and you're spending $4,000 per month, the difference is $1,000. So you'd set up a monthly auto draft for $1,000 into your emergency fund. What's nice about this example is it's pretty easy to see how long it would take you to save up that emergency fund. So since you're spending $4,000 a month, if you wanted six months worth of living expenses saved, four times six is 24. So that's $24,000 that would need to be in your emergency fund. Since you can afford to save $1,000 per month, you can tell that it'll take you 24 months or two years to save up your $24,000 emergency fund goal. Now, Two years may seem like a long time, right? So if you're feeling discouraged or overwhelmed, don't worry, you are not alone. It takes all of us a while to save up our emergency funds. But what's great about the emergency fund is once it's done, you generally don't have to worry about it anymore unless you do in fact have an actual emergency, in which case it's actually a great thing because you have the cash to help deal with that emergency. 
but then you would need to replenish anything you use up later once your emergency is handled. You need to put that money back into your emergency fund, get it back to that three to six month range. But for our conversation on the things you need to do to manage risk, once you set up your emergency fund, it's for the most part a one and done kind of thing. If you feel like being an overachiever, you can hit your emergency goal fund faster by reducing your expenses and or increasing your income. Make it fun. Make it a game. How fast can you save up three to six months worth of your living expenses? And then be patient. These things take time. Okay, like this is not something that happens overnight. I say that a lot, but with finance, you have to be patient. Just set your goal and make sure your daily actions are always working towards that goal. Make sure you set up that monthly auto draft so that amount of money is going into your emergency fund every single month without fail and take your time. Okay, these things take time. Number two, the second way you can manage your risk is to diversify. We talked about that a little bit earlier. We talked about diversifying both your investments and any companies you hold money with. So you may have heard this word before. You may have just heard it on today's episode. But as far as it comes to investing, I want to be clear on what this means. To diversify essentially means to spread your money out. In other words, do not keep all of your money in one place. Or as the old saying goes, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And here's an example of what I mean by that. Let's look at two situations where you invest differently. In the first situation, let's say you work for a company and you're investing in shares of that company, which can be smart, okay? Like, especially if your company offers something like an ESPP, which is an employee stock purchase program. And those programs allow you to buy stock at a discount. So you're essentially immediately making a profit, right? So that can be smart. But Let's say in this situation, you only have stock at the company that you work for and you don't have any other investments, okay? That's one scenario. The second scenario, let's say that you're investing in the stock market as well, but you have 10 different companies that you own stock with, one of which is the company that you work for, but you also own a house, Okay. Now let's say the leadership team at the company you work for makes some really poor decisions and the stock price at your company plummets. In the first scenario, since you only had stock in that one single company that you work for, the value of your investments are going to go way down. Whereas in the second scenario, yeah, sure. You had money invested in your company, but you also had money invested in nine other companies as well as a house. So yeah, sure, you still lost a little bit of money because you did have money invested in the company that lost money. But your nine other investments plus your real estate investment are still doing okay. So you would be affected much less than you would be in the first scenario. So finally, let's say the entire stock market goes way down, which hurts you in both of those cases. In the second scenario, because you own a house, or in other words, you hold a different type of asset besides just stock, that real estate will sort of be like a life raft for you. Your other investments might be way down, but hopefully your investment in your real estate is holding or still appreciating. So hopefully you see where I'm going with this. Essentially what I'm saying is the more you spread out your money, the less risk you have. And again, this is true if you plan to use companies to invest on your behalf. 
So think back to the story I told earlier about Celsius, which is the crypto company Core and I held money with. So we weren't invested in Celsius. They just held our crypto investments for us. So there is a difference there. And you need to make sure to diversify in both cases, right? So if we held all of our money at Celsius, their bankruptcy announcement would have royally screwed us. But because we hold our money across a variety of different companies, the Celsius bankruptcy hurt, yes, but it did not destroy us. Plus, thanks to our emergency fund, literally any money we invest is money we're willing to lose since we know we've got six months worth of savings to fall back on if we need it. So the third way to manage your risk is to get and stay organized. This one might not be super exciting or anything, but it is really important. And in terms of organization, I mean this for your own personal budget, income expenses, as well as your investments. It is in your best interest to keep close track of any time you're adding a new recurring expense to your monthly expenses, as well as any new regular income. And finally, a list of where all of your investments are. As you might guess, things can get really complicated really quick, especially if you're diversifying well. So prioritizing your organization from the very beginning is key. This will help you avoid any unforeseen overdrafts, miscalculations, missed opportunities, and more. And while it may seem small, this is one of the most important ways to make sure you're getting the most out of your financial efforts and managing risk. So to summarize, the three best ways I found to mitigate risk are to number one, build an emergency fund, number two, diversify, and number three, stay organized. Remember, it's easy to get frustrated when you're working on any one of these things. Each of them takes patience and intention, but trust me, it is worth your effort because mitigating risk through these three steps or otherwise is the way you protect yourself and create a financial situation where you can then take calculated risks that really pay off. If you lay this foundation first and then go try those big scary things you've been wanting to try but keep putting off because of fear, it really doesn't matter whether things go your way or not because even if they don't, you get to learn something new and you've got your emergency fund, diversified money, and organized finances to fall back on. Big risks really do reap big rewards, but the truth is they're really not that big of risks if you lay a proper foundation in the first place. So get out there and try, try new things. And if they're not going to work out, fine. In that case, you get to learn, but don't not try. Take action, move forward and readjust if things don't work out. Make informed decisions and don't be afraid to fail fast and course correct quickly. And if you're feeling inspired to take action today, here's your to-do list. Head on over to the show notes and take a look at my free budget tool. This single tool will help you determine your monthly expenses and in turn, the amount you need to save for your emergency fund. It'll also show you the amount left over after you pay all of your monthly bills, and you can use that number to set up your auto draft into your emergency fund account. My monthly budget calculator is my go-to tool for staying organized and keeping all my personal financial information in one place. It's how I add new monthly expenses, remove old monthly expenses, keep track of all forms of income, and a list of all of our investments. 
and you can access it for free in the show notes at jessicatoller.com slash 004. Okay, my friend, now's your time. Don't wait. Take action. Go build your solid financial foundation that will give you the freedom to take those big risks and reap those big rewards. There's only good things that come from trying. So try, try, and try again. Just keep taking action. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. And until next time, work less, live more, and keep on chasing your wildest dreams. Congratulations on finishing another episode of the Goodbye July podcast. If you want more, head over to jessicatolar.com slash podcast for show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode. Don't forget to rate the show, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share it with a friend. I believe in a world where we're all financially free, so let's help each other get there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Goodbye July podcast.